Let's pray. Our most gracious God and heavenly Father, we come to you this day so grateful to be able to meet around your throne like this and to meet around your precious word. Lord, you are so big and we are so small. And uh, yet you delight to um, give us big things to do. And we're so thankful for that. Lord, empower us as we open your word and look into it. Speak to our hearts, Lord, and bless our prayer time. We pray that the Holy Spirit would indeed move from seat to seat this day and lead us and guide us and help us. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So if you would turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy, we'll be looking at chapter 4, starting in verse 1. So 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. And we'll end there with the reading. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us how old Timothy was in relation to Paul. But it has been estimated that he might have been around 16 to 21 years old when he first began his ministry work with the Apostle Paul. The first epistle to Timothy was probably written around the time Timothy was roughly 30 to 40 years old. And second Timothy would follow approximately seven years later, putting his age in the late 30s to late 40s when Paul wrote this epistle to him. It's probable that Paul wrote the second letter to Timothy during his second imprisonment in Rome. Paul was nearing the end of his life, and he writes, as recorded in chapter 1, verse 4, that he is greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. So you have to think that Paul was very cognizant of the fact that this could be the last opportunity he had to communicate with Timothy, that he might not ever see Timothy again on this earth. And the entire letter is a beautiful example of imparting some final, God, some final godly, fatherly advice upon Timothy, who had been a devoted fellow laborer of the gospel. The verse I want to turn our attention today is in verse 2 from our reading. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. I believe this encouragement that Paul had for Timothy, Timothy had heard many, many times from his fatherly mentor, Paul, throughout the many years of their ministry together. I picture a young Timothy in his late teens, early 20s, preparing to preach before a crowd for the first time. Could it have been in his hometown of Lystra? Or was it later on in Corinth? The fact is, we just don't know, but I picture the scene so vividly in my mind. And go with me there, if you would. From a wide angle, we see a crowd gathered together and people anxiously waiting. Then toward the front and a little off to the side, we notice two men, apparently in a quiet personal moment. 
as we close in, we're made aware it's Timothy and Paul. Close enough now, we notice that Timothy's hands are shaking. He swallows hard, his throat dry as a bone. His legs are slightly quivering, almost as if he is shivering. And then we witness the Apostle Paul slowly lean over to him, and we hear him whisper into his ear, let God speak to you, or speak through you. This is not your message. It's his. Preach the word, Timothy. Approve, rebuke, and exhort. I believe Paul spoke these words again and again throughout the years to Timothy as he was preparing to speak to a lost and dying audience. Words of encouragement to him when Timothy was feeling nervous or excited, bold or pensive, overly confident or discouraged. Preach the word, Timothy. It leads me to some thoughts of application to our day, and in particular, the way in which I think we need to pray. First, we need to pray diligently for God to stir the hearts of the older Christian men, making them willing to regularly put aside their own pursuits and desires to speak into the lives of the younger generation. Paul was a tremendous preacher, and Paul was steadfast in proclaiming the gospel in every situation. But Paul was also a great mentor and encourager. He was not hard like a tyrant, but he was not a soft enabler either. Paul was firm and resolute in his convictions for the sake of the gospel. 2 Timothy 3, verses 13 and 14 says, But evil men and seducers shall work, wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Paul is saying, Timothy, it's going to get worse. Deception is going to be the norm. It's not going to get any easier. You're going to be challenged, but don't you waver. Don't you dare stray from what you have learned of Christ. Don't you ever forget what you are now assured of. And above all, you must always remember you learned these things from God himself. In a message that he preached in the late 1990s, Alistair Begg recounted the time when he was quite young, and he was speaking at a conference in Scotland for missionary candidates. By Begg's own admission, he had made a complete hash of it. As he attempted to depart from the stage as quickly as he could, Alistair says he was followed by an older, graying gentleman, a man he would later find out was named Davy Patterson, a man he had never met before that day, but who felt compelled by the Spirit to follow him, stop him, and speak to him. This is what Alistair says that he said. He said, There was one thing you said in your sermon tonight that really lifted my spirits and was a great encouragement to me. When you mentioned the idea of making an abundant entrance into heaven, that was good. But that was about all that was good. Whether you've got a pound of mints or a sirloin steak, get up and deliver it. Because you're not there by accident. You are there by God's appointment. So don't let me ever hear you doing this again, young man. And by the way, he said, I believe that one day you will speak before thousands. And I believe that God has asked me to say what I have now said to you. Now let us pray. And they prayed. Alistair Begg said that those words of encouragement from that older man have never left him. He said, there's hardly a time when I move into a new context, and many times on a Sunday, when I can see Davy Patterson's face saying, go on, son, you're not up there by accident, you're up there by appointment, mints or steak, 
mince, or steak, what is it? Second, we need to pray for God to soften the hearts of our generation and grant a teachable spirit. I think he'll agree with me that we live in a strange time and place where there's a hyper-focus of self-esteem and, and feelings. Absolute truth is non-existent. Truth for each individual is what that individual believes truth to be. Everyone's behavior, work, and performance is nothing short of wonderful. Nobody fails. Every answer is correct. Everyone receives a participation trophy. Self-worth is defined by how many likes you get in response to social media posts. What you are is what you yourself decide you are. Humanism is not only vastly prevalent, it's prevalent and on steroids. All of these things and more contribute to a culture of thin-skinned people unwilling to handle and process constructive criticism. And I believe a key component to revival is humility, which is essentially having a teachable spirit. 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. We desperately need the Holy Spirit to convict us on the sufficiency and inerrancy of his holy word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And finally, we need to plead with God to speak into the hearts of young men by calling them into the preaching ministry. We need to plead with him to speak conviction and unction into the hearts of those already in the pulpits. We need to plead with God to call men all across this world to lay down their earthly pursuits and charge into the battle and preach the word. Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Look around at our world. There's so much confusion and so much strife and so much fear and so much uncertainty. It appears the world has gone completely crazy. Is Satan so busy sowing wickedness, discord, and disharmony? It is absolute madness. But, but this madness has left us with a huge mission field that is white unto harvest. People are confused and they're looking for answers. Matthew 9, 37 to 38. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Who will fill the void of men who have fairly recently left us and gone on to glory? I think of Ian Paisley or Alan Cairns, Clarence Sexton, R.C. Sproul, Mark Allison. You can add dozens of names to this list. We must pray fervently for God to fill the pulpit with men on fire for the gospel because faith cometh by hearing. I'm going to close this with an account from C.H. Spurgeon when he was 15 years old on Sunday, January 6th, 1850. He reflects back on that day when he says, I sometimes think I might have been in darkness and despair now had it not been for the goodness of God in sending a snowstorm one Sunday morning when I was going to a place of worship. When I could go no further, I turned down a court and came to a little primitive Methodist chapel. In that chapel, there might be a dozen or 15 people. The minister did not come that morning, snowed up, I suppose. 
a poor man, a shoemaker, a tailor, or something of that sort, went up into the pulpit to preach. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason that he had nothing else to say. The text was, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, from Isaiah 45, verse 22. He did not even pronounce the words rightly, but that did not matter. There was, I thought, a glimpse of hope for me in the text. He began thus, my dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now, it does not take a deal of effort. It ain't lifting your finger, your foot or your finger. It is just look. Well, a man need not go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. Man need not be worth a thousand a year to look. Anyone can look. A child can look. But this is what the text says. Then it says, look unto me. I, said he, in broad Essex, many of ye are looking to yourselves. No use looking there. You'll never find comfort in yourselves. Then the good man followed up his text in this way. Look unto me. I am sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me. I'm hanging on the cross. Look, I am dead and buried. Look unto me. I rise again. Look unto me. I ascend. I am sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, look to me. Look to me. When he had got about that length and managed to spin out 10 minutes, he was at the length of his tether. Then he looked at me under the gallery, and I dare say with a few present, he knew me to be a stranger. He then said, young man, you look very miserable. Well, I did, but I had not been accustomed to have remarks made on my personal appearance from the pulpit before. However, it was a good blow struck. He continued, and you will always be miserable, miserable in life and miserable in death if you do not obey my text. But if you obey now, this moment you will be saved. Then he shouted as only a primitive Methodist can, young man, look to Jesus Christ. There and then the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away. And that moment I saw the sun. And I could have risen that moment and sung with the most enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Christ. It would only be a short time before the Lord would call Charles Haddon Spurgeon into the gospel ministry. That call and subsequent work would alter the course of life for many thousands of souls. Oh, brothers and sisters, may we pray much for God to call men to preach the word, to be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Amen. <laughs>